Thank you, Jeff and choir and musicians. Take your Bible this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, as we continue our Christmas series this morning. Luke, chapter 1, we'll be beginning in verse 26 in a few moments. Today, we're going to consider the birth announcement of Christ, the birth announcement. Now, we're familiar with birth announcements. They're pretty common in life. Young couple finds out that they are with child, and they begin to tell everybody. They make phone calls to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and friends and neighbors. And from time to time, I'll drive through the neighborhood and have one of those huge, giant wooden storks in the yard. So they want everybody to know that uh, a baby is going to be born, and it is a joyful time, and we celebrate that. Well, the greatest birth announcement ever in human history is the birth announcement of Jesus Christ. It's the most special uh, the most meaningful. Uh, in fact, it's the most special because it is the most unique. No baby's ever been born like Jesus. No, no birth has ever happened like the birth of Jesus, and uh, his is quite unique and different. In fact, uh, it was different because he's our Savior, because he's God, and it was indeed God coming into the world as a human being uh, to become a man, to die for us on the cross. Our Savior was born. And in our passage this morning, we find that as that time drew near, uh, the time of God's plan for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth and, and live a sinless life and die for us on the cross, announcements began to be made. And not just any announcement. God didn't send a card or make a phone call. He sent an angel uh, to talk to the, the mother-to-be. And so I want us to consider that for a few minutes this morning. Uh, and we'll begin in verses 26 and 27. Look of Luke chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now these two verses and this beginning of this birth announcement, we find three very important things. We find uh, the time of the birth, the time of the announcement, and when the birth would transpire, and we find the place, uh, and we also find the person. So let's think about those three in this, in this passage for just a moment. Number one, the timing. When the time drew near, God sent Gabriel, an angel, and we're told that it was the sixth month. Now, you might think the sixth month of what? Well, if you read the whole uh, narrative and the whole account, you find out that it is the sixth month in the pregnancy of a woman named Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was related to Mary, and she had a, a husband named Zechariah who was a priest. And if you go back and read the story, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been barren their whole life. Elizabeth had not been able to have children. And when Zechariah went into the temple one day, he was chosen uh, to serve in the temple and to actually go into the, into the holy place. And when he went in, uh, Gabriel showed up to talk to him as well and told him that he was going to have a baby, a baby boy. Uh, in fact, they were going to be the parents of the forerunner of the Messiah. They are the parents of John the Baptist. And so Elizabeth uh, is six months along in her pregnancy when the same angel uh, comes to talk to uh, Mary. Now, what do we learn about this timing? Uh, and, and understand this, when you read the Bible, uh, when God gives us indications of time, it's important. In other words, it teaches us that God is sovereignly in control of, of what happens and when it happens. God determined that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have this baby, John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus. He would as he grew into his ministry. And then the same angel comes in this orchestrated event and makes the announcement to Mary. Now we're reminded very clearly that the birth of Jesus was planned uh, from eternity past. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Listen to what he said. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The birth of Jesus Christ, the announcement here that we read about to the Virgin Mary, was planned from eternity past. When the fullness of time had come, Paul said, Jesus came forth to be born of a woman, born under the law, to do two things, to redeem us and to adopt us. Now think about that for a moment. This entire birth announcement, the, the timing, the plan of God was for two very important things. One, to redeem us from our sin. To redeem means to be bought back, to be bought out of, to redeem from that which we're under. And if you're here today or watching online and you've never come to Jesus Christ to be saved, you are, you are, uh, you are trapped and enslaved to sin. And you are under the curse of sin. And Jesus Christ came. We celebrate Christmas. He came, was born into this world to redeem you, to pay for your sin, and to buy you back out of sin and to set you free. You know, people today, uh, in this country in particular, we like to tout our freedoms, and I thank God for them. But you're never really free until you know Jesus. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're trapped, and sin has a hold on you, and Satan has a hold on you, and you don't even know it. But Jesus came to set us free to redeem us. And in redeeming us, he adopts us. That's wonderful. Not only do you get forgiven of your sin, but you get adopted into the family of God. Now, if you're going to be adopted into a family, that's the one you want to be adopted into, right? Because, see, Jesus owns everything. And you're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So this birth announcement and the timing, completely controlled by God. And then the second thing we see in these two verses is the place. Uh, Mary was in a, a city of Galilee and Nazareth, and, and Jesus would come from there, okay? Now think about that for a moment. What do you know about Nazareth? Probably not much. Well, it's in the Bible, and it's where Mary was from. Well, the reason you don't know much about it is it was a nowhere town. It was off the beaten path. There was no, no major roads through there. It was a trade route nearby. The, the, the city of, of Nazareth was mainly known for Roman soldiers that had gone there to hang out, maybe retired, and poor people. And that was it. That's all that was there. And so when you think about Nazareth, you think, well, well what's the last place we would expect the Savior of the world to be born? Exactly. What did Jesus come the first time? He came as the suffering servant, didn't he? He came in humility. He didn't come in, in, in popularity or come to make a, a big scene. No, he came. In fact, we're reminded of, of, the, uh, of the thought of some people about Nazareth when Philip went to Nathaniel and said, hey, we found the one we were looking for, the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In other words, really? Of all the, of all the places that you would tell me uh, we found the Savior, you're going to tell me he came from Nazareth. Now listen, it just reminds us that God does things different from us, doesn't he? I mean, think about it. If we were writing the narrative here, what would we do? Man, he's going to be born in Rome, the capital of the, of the, of the world-controlling empire of that day, the mighty Roman empire. We're going to have the Savior born in Rome. Or if we were writing it, we might know we're going to have him born in Athens, Greece, the center of culture and intellectual study. He's going to be born in Athens. Or better yet, he's going to be born in Jerusalem, the capital, the royal city of David. We're going to have him born in Jerusalem. God says, nah, how about have his mama come from Nazareth? How about that? And, and, and a, a, no, a nowhere town. Listen, isn't that the way God operates today? Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
He makes us feel really good about ourselves, doesn't he? He says, brother, notice that not many of you are wise according to the world. Not many of you are noble or of background or of reputation. You see, God masters and, and, and excels in picking and choosing the weak and the unknown uh, and the little. Why? So that he can be exalted. Because you see, when anything's accomplished in the name of Jesus, the whole world looks at us and goes, I know it ain't you. Okay? I know it ain't you. And God does that on purpose because he receives all the honor and glory. And he uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And he uses the things that, that men think they understand or don't understand to confound them. God picked a place of Nazareth for Jesus to be from. So that's the place, the time, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the place, Nazareth. And now the person, this young lady. And let's, let's spend some time talking about Mary for just a moment. The angel shows up. Uh, we'll read that in just a moment, shows up to make the announcement to her. Now, don't you wonder what she was doing that day? I mean, if we're, if we're being real spiritual, we go, well, Pastor, she must have been in prayer time. She must, have been, she must have been in a devotion time. I don't know. I don't know. She, you know, all indications, we don't know a lot about her as far as her socioeconomic status. We know that she wasn't very wealthy just from the whole narrative. She's marrying a guy named Joseph who's a carpenter. Maybe she was in her prayer time. I don't know. Maybe she was doing some of the necessities of life. Maybe she was trying to fix a meal or, or mending some clothing, whatever the case may be. This young lady, no formal education that we can tell of, no uh, fame, no renown, no reputation, fits the same pattern as being from Nazareth, does it not? And it reminds us that when we got saved, we were nobody of, of no renown. And even if you have somewhat to say in this world, before God, we are uh, of no value other than the fact that he loves us. We bring nothing to the table. So here's this young lady of no reputation, known of nobody in the world except her immediate family and her social circle, but most well-known of God. Amen. Nobody else might have known who she is, but God knew who she was. And not only known of God, but chosen of God. Aren't you thankful that God chooses people? If you're here today and you're saved, you're chosen of the Lord, aren't you? His elect. Aren't you thankful that God looks into the world and loves the unlovable, picks those who have nothing to offer and brings them into great favor with himself? So we find with this young lady, two things about Mary that I want us to hone in on. Look at verse 27 again. This message came to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, the first thing we're told is that this young lady that God has chosen to be the mother of the Savior of the world. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph. You say, well, what do we know about Joseph? Just what God's told us here. The most important thing we know about Joseph is that he was of the house and lineage of David. Why is that important? Well, I'm glad you want to know because I'm going to tell you. You see, Jesus was born into a family to marry a virgin, not the biological son of Joseph. We'll talk about that in a moment. But yet in the family, adopted by Joseph as an earthly father, it's important because Joseph, being in the line of David, was of royal descendant. In other words, if the king of Israel was still on the throne in Jerusalem, Joseph would have had a right to the throne because he was a son of David in the, in the royal line, which by law means Jesus is in the line of David. By law from his father means Jesus. Listen, Jesus has an earthly legal right in Israel to the throne of Israel. Not just because he's God, 
and because he's a savior, but because he has an earthly right through the lineage of David, because what was in the covenant? What was in the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and David, and particularly the, the Davidic covenant, that your descendant will never cease to sit on the throne of Israel. That one will be Jesus, Joseph. Here's, a, here's another little tidbit. Someone, some of you Bible scholars go, well, wait a minute. There was a guy who was cursed, and, his, and God said, your descendant will never sit on the throne. So how do you deal with that? Well, that's easy because Mary's in the line of David too. Mary's in the line of David through, through his son, Nathan. And so both Joseph and Mary are descendants of Nathan. So the fact that Jesus was born physically of Mary and adopted by Joseph gives him a double right to the throne. So Jesus has an earthly right to the throne. So God tells us right here that, that Mary was betrothed to this young man, uh, uh, Joseph, uh, and tells us that he was of the line of David. Now, the second thing it tells us here that's very important that we, we need to consider is it says that, that Mary uh, was a virgin. Now, a lot is made of that in, in secular world today, and it's probably one of the most maligned and most attacked truths of the Bible. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. She had never known a man. Uh, her conception was by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was not because she had an affair with a Roman soldier or had a, a premarital affair with Joseph. She was a virgin when Jesus was born. The Bible is very clear about that. You say, well, why is that so essential? It's, it's absolutely essential uh, for the fact that our salvation would be impossible if Jesus didn't come through a virgin birth. So let me give you four reasons why that's true. Number one, Mary had to be a virgin because it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, speaking in a, in, a, in a contemporary context, Isaiah said this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now in the, in the local context of Isaiah chapter 7, there was a king who didn't believe God, and God said, I'm going to give you a sign. There's, a, there's a, a virgin who will conceive a child and be born locally in that day and time. And, and then that will be a sign to you that God has fulfilled his word or will fulfill his word. But because uh, Isaiah includes and God included that you will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, God was saying two things at the same time. Have you ever done that? Sure we have. God was saying a local thing and a future thing. By using Emmanuel, God with us, God was pointing to the future when a virgin, Mary, would have a baby who would be God with us. So fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus was born uh, to a, a virgin young lady, Mary. Secondly, all children that are born through the normal biological process, a husband and wife get married and they have children, we as parents pass down to our children an atomic sin nature. We pass to them the same nature that, that's been passed to us through every generation. When Adam sinned, the curse of sin came upon all humanity. And he, as the federal head, as some theologians would call it, he represents all of humanity. And as his descendants, Cain and Abel, it didn't take long for it to manifest, did it? the first two boys, okay? So that sin nature has been passed down through generation through generation, through Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, passed on to us. And so everybody in the world today, every man and woman has a sin nature that we pass to our children. And I, and I say this every time I talk about it, you don't have to teach your children how to be bad. We spend all our time teaching them how to be what? Good. Why don't we have to spend any time teaching them to be bad? Because they got that naturally from us. That, that just comes easy to disobey, to be rebellious, to be hard-hearted, that's all indicative of sin. We spend all our time pointing them to Jesus and telling them there's obedience to authority, to God and his word and the law of God. We pass down that sin nature. 
Jesus could not be born of a man and a woman in a normal sense and be the savior of the world. Because had he had a biological father, he would have, have received the same sin nature that we received. Now, that's impossible because he's God. And Jesus would never come. He's never been sinful. He's never been around sin until he took it for us. And so Jesus was born uh, of a virgin so that he could live a sinless life. In fact, Jesus is the only sinless human being to ever walk the face of the planet. Absolutely obedient to the Father. Never sinned. Listen, never sinned in word, thought, deed, or intent. Perfect God-man at the same time. It was essential that Jesus be sinless so that he could be our substitute on the cross. It's, it's not an accident. The Bible calls him the spotless lamb of God. He was the perfect sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews said this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet, what, without sin. Why? Because he was the sinless savior who would go to the cross. Third reason that Jesus had to be born by the Virgin Mary without a father, a biological father. When husband and wife come together and a, and a child is born, in that conception, a new life is created. In the moment of conception, God creates a soul and creates a human being, which, by the way, is why abortion is murder. So you, you can discuss it all you want about when the fetus is life. From the moment of conception, God creates life. And it's a new life. It's a new life, different from anybody else. Isn't it amazing? Seven and a half billion people in the world know two have the same fingerprints. Seven and a half billion people in the world know two have the same DNA. Seven and a half billion people in the world and however many's lived since God uh, created Adam, no two have been exactly alike. Why? Because God creates a new and unique person every time. What a, what a testimony to who God is. But the fact is, Jesus wasn't created new when he came into the world. He simply went from heaven to here. So all, all Mary was, listen, Mary was an instrument chosen by God to give Jesus a human body, not a, a new creation of a new person. Jesus came from heaven, the eternal God, stepped off his throne, took on humility, took on the, the form of a servant in humility, the form of humanity, which, listen, for him was a, a, a humbling thing to do, the God of the universe, the creator, to become a man to die for us. He simply used Mary, was that vessel, that chosen one of God, to have a human body to come and live among us so he could be like us to die for us. So, uh, fourthly, finally, you say, Pastor, well, those are pretty strong. Yeah, well, then we have Mary's own personal testimony. Look down at verses 34 and 35 of Luke chapter 1. When Gabriel gives her the message, here's her response. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who was to be born will be called the Son of God. There's your answer. Gabriel says to Mary, you're gonna have a baby. Mary goes, man, that all sounds great. There's only one problem. I'm not married and I've never known a man. And angel Gabriel goes, that's not a problem. The Holy Spirit's gonna come over you. He's gonna empower you and that which will be born of you will be born of the Holy Spirit. So we have the very testimony of Mary herself, and we have the testimony of, of the angel Gabriel, inspired as the Holy Spirit did to have it recorded, giving the testimony that Jesus was born by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the normal process of having a baby. Now again, 
the world, the world rejects that wholeheartedly. I went to a man's house one time. This is how, how powerful, listen, you either believe this, you believe that Jesus is virgin born, or you really can't be saved. You either believe that Jesus came as described by the Bible, or, or, you, or you can't be saved because you're not trusting him as a savior, and you're not trusting what God says. I went to a man's house one time, going door to door, knocking on the door, asking people to come to church, sharing the gospel, and a guy invited us in. Now, that doesn't happen a lot when you're going door to door. You know, I mean, usually it's the other way. It's like they don't answer the door or, or they tell you to get lost or, or use stronger language than that. But the point of this guy, I said, hey, how you doing? Y'all come in. So me and another guy went in there and we sat around the table and he had a Bible on the table. And so I was encouraged. I thought, man, this guy might be saved. So I began to talk to him and I shared the gospel with him. And you know what he said to me? We got all through the gospel and he said, yeah, I'm, I believe all that except one thing. I said, what's that? He said, I don't believe Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born. So we had a discussion about that for about 20 minutes, and I figured out I couldn't change his mind. And I walked out of there, and the man, the man was still lost. He wouldn't pray to receive Christ. Listen, this, this, is, this doctrine uh, about, and Christmas and the Christmas story is a dividing point. Listen, it is, it is true. Jesus Christ is eternally God, and we couldn't be saved unless he was. And we couldn't be saved unless he came exactly like the Bible said he came. So we can't mess with it, and we can't change it just because the world wants to. He was virgin born. I, I, read, a, I read a thing this week, and I, I, I was reading, when you, when you study, if you've ever taught Bible lessons, you read a lot of stuff. And I had a, a really wise pastor tell me one time, a guy named Dr. Warren, when I was a kid, he said, he said, Robert, when you teach, you teach from the overflow of your knowledge. You don't teach just from a bunch of notes. You teach from things that you've learned over time, and God brings it all together. And I didn't understand that until God called me to pastor. But anyway, I was reading a thing this week, and my heart sank. It was discouraging. I was reading, I was reading some theological literature about Christmas and about the virgin birth and about, about this passage in particular. And one guy even took, took the liberty to launch out into why, if Jesus was born of Joseph, why it would still be true. And it hurt my heart. Because what we had is we have a Christian guy, a guy who purports to be a Christian, trying to compromise with the world, trying to come up with a way to say something to make everybody feel good. Listen, the truth doesn't make everybody feel good. Do you understand that? The truth will bother some people. Now, the truth, when you're saved, the truth makes you rejoice, doesn't it? But if you're lost, the truth bothers you. And so this guy's bothered, and he didn't want to bother other people, so he tried to compromise. No, listen, Jesus was born of Mary. She was his physical, earthly mother, but his daddy is the heavenly father in heaven, not Joseph. And he came by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, the last thing I want to look at this morning for just a minute is the greeting, because it's interesting. Look at verses 28 and 29 of Luke chapter 1. Gabriel comes, and we have, we have what I call here the angelic uh, greeting. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I'm always intrigued in the Bible when angels show up and start to talk to people. Their reactions are always different. And I've often thought if, you know, God doesn't do that today. Um, I've had people ask me, why doesn't God give visions and send angels? Well, he could. He's still God. I mean, he could do that if he wanted to. But God gave us something better than that. He gave us the Bible. He gave us the whole completed canon of Scripture. So we don't, I, I don't need, although it would be pretty cool if Gabriel showed up and talked to you, right? If it didn't give you a heart attack, 
would be kind of neat to, you know, see him and talk to him. Hey, I've read about you, kind of, you know, thing like that. But Gabriel, if he comes like we read in the Bible, usually has one message, one, one thing that God tells him to say, and he comes and delivers it and he goes away. We're blessed to have the whole Bible. I mean, we can read God's whole plan. We can read the whole thing. We don't need it in pieces. We have the closed, completed canon of scripture. But the fact is, Gabriel shows up, and again, we don't know, we don't know what Mary was doing. Was she, was she you know, cooking? Was she uh, you know, sewing, mending, knitting? You know, I, I don't know what she was doing. Was she in the house? Was she outside? Was she in the field? Was she, was she getting food? We don't know what she was doing, but the fact is, whatever she was doing, Gabriel shows up to her now. You say, well, how, how do those things go? Well, we don't really know, but in the Bible, it says that most angels, when they appear, particularly Gabriel, uh, is in, looks like a young man in white uh, robes, usually very bright. When they're described in the Bible, you say, why are they so bright? Well, if you hang around in the presence of God himself, you're probably shining. Kind of, Moses found that out, right? So Gabriel, who hangs around, and I like Gabriel's, I can't help it. You know, when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, Unlike Mary, Zechariah had questions, but they were questions of doubt and unbelief. And when Zechariah asked him a question, I often paraphrase when I read that passage, Gabriel basically said to him, do you know who I am? You know, in other words, do you know who I am or where I come from? Do you know where I hang out? And Gabriel said to him, I stand in the very presence of God, and he sent me here to talk to you, and you don't believe me? And then you know what happened? He made him dumb. He couldn't speak till John the Baptist was born. But the fact is, when he comes to Mary, it's going to be kind of the same thing. He's going to be in bright, shining garment because he's been in the presence of God. I would think, just from reading the Bible, pretty impressive sight. You know, I would think pretty intimidating because we're not holy. And anytime we're around the express holiness of God makes us shrink, if we, doesn't it? I mean, you see it in men and women in the Bible. So Gabriel shows up to talk to Mary. Uh, and he appears to her. And interesting enough, most of the time when an angel shows up, he will say to the people he shows up to, don't be afraid because they're afraid. Uh, he, but when he shows up, they're afraid. And he'll say to them, don't be afraid. Don't fear because I'm Gabriel and I came to give you a message. We don't find that with Mary. It doesn't say she's afraid. Now think about that for a minute. Isn't that impressive? I think that's impressive. Why wouldn't she be afraid? I don't know. Maybe the answer is she's walking so close to God that it's no big deal to talk with somebody who came from God. I don't know. I, we're not told a whole lot about Mary, but I believe this. God would not have chosen her had she not been fit for the duty. God would not have chosen her had she not been a young lady whose heart was right, obviously, whose faith was right, and listen, and who communed with God often. You say, well, the people who only had the Old Testament do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, the law is enough to draw you to God. The Word of God is enough to draw you to God. And so here we have a young lady who, doesn't, who, who nobody knows until the Bible points her out, who has such a relationship with God that God picks her to be the mother of the Savior to come into the world. That's pretty honorable. And not only does God pick her to be the mother of the Savior to come into the world, but she's not even afraid when Gabriel shows up. And I just think that's impressive. Either she's really, really close with Jesus or she's got nerves of steel, one or the other, I'm not sure. But Gabriel shows up and, and, and she's not afraid. 
And, and Gabriel says three things to her in verse 28. He says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you and blessed are you among women. That's the message. Let's talk about those very quickly. Number one, he says, he says, highly favored one, rejoice, celebrate because you are a highly favored one. Uh, in, the, in the Latin, it's uh, gratia plena. It means much graced. It means overabundantly graced. And in some interpretations, it means having been much graced. In other words, here's Gabriel, an angel, who looks at this woman and says, God's poured the whole bucket on you. God, God, has, God has graced you in ways you can't even begin to understand. And I'm always intrigued by this, they, what the angels know and what they see. It's incredible. Gabriel shows up and says, you should be rejoicing because of the grace God has bestowed on you. Boy, there's a connection right there, isn't there? What about us who are saved? Would not Gabriel say the same thing to us if he showed up? Hey, you should be rejoicing. You don't have any idea how much grace God used on you. You don't have any idea how much grace it took to redeem your soul. You should be rejoicing. Listen, is it not true? We as Christians, now we're humans, and let's just be, let's just, you know, where the rubber meets the road. We're a moody bunch, aren't we? I mean, we, you know, you get up on the wrong side of bed one day, you have a bad day, you know, you go to the fast food place and it ain't fast, and you go to the, you go to the restaurant and the, you know, the beans are cold. You know, you, get, you have those days and so you, you're, not, you're not in a good mood. But should we, should we not, of all the people on the face of the planet, be the happiest people walking around here? Shouldn't we just be the, shouldn't we just be the bomb diggity like, you know, man, I am graced of God. I've been saved. You know, if the angel showed up, he'd tell me I was graced of God. You know, we should be very thankful. As he says to Mary right here, he says, rejoice. Rejoice because of what God has done in your life. Rejoice because of what God is going to do in your life. Now, that's an incredible thing, too. He says here, number two, the Lord is with you. Now, that's interesting, too. The Lord is with you. She probably already knew that. She was saved. But why is Gabriel reminding her that God's with her? Because as magnificent as this thing is that God's going to do through her, bring the Savior in the world, it's going to bring much difficulty to her life. You see, where she was living a nice, quiet little life and relationship with God and her family and going to marry Joseph and have the house and the white picket fence and the two and a half kids and the whole, you know, the whole life thing planned out, now it's not going to be that way. Because the very first thing that's going to happen when we read the account and read the narrative, she's pregnant and she ain't married. And that day, that's a problem. Not such a big problem today. People are so used to sin, it ain't a big deal. But in that day, it was a big deal. Not only was it a big deal, but she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. And betrothal, or being engaged in that day, was just as legally binding as being married. And by the law, she could have been stoned to death for being unfaithful. But Joseph, being a man of God, was going to put her away privately until the same angel showed up to Joseph and said, not so fast, big boy. She didn't cheat on you. What happened to her happened of God, and you take her as your wife. That's next door. We just got on the same channel for a minute. 
Maybe they hear me over there. What do you think? For those who don't know, we have a Spanish ministry over there. No, está Okay. I'm getting close to being done, so we'll be all right. The point is, the angel. I'm going to tell you how that happens. There's a button over there. They're not supposed to touch. It changes the frequencies. Somebody touched it. Sir? Okay. <laughs> I'll have two more things to say and I'll be done. This point about him saying the Lord's with you, <clears throat> well, it reminds us of something very important. It is an honor to be called to serve God. It's an honor to be saved. It's a pr great privilege to be adopted in the family of God. But the things God calls us to do as Christians are not always easy. The areas that God calls us to serve are not always convenient, and, the, and, they're, and they're hard sometimes. Listen, you know, honestly, you've probably thought this before I have, being in the ministry. I think I'm saved. I know Jesus. I love him. He loves me. And I'm going to heaven one day. I can just move to Montana on top of a mountain, you know, get a high-powered rifle to shoot things to eat every now and then, and live on that mountain praying and talking to God every day and be completely good until Jesus calls me home. And that would be an easy life, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful and no stress, no strain. But God didn't save us to do that, did he? No, the Bible says we're saved to be a part of the body of Christ, not just in birth, in spiritual birth, but actively to use our spiritual gifts, to, to serve wherever it is God calls us in whatever capacity God calls us. And obviously, like with Mary, some of the capacity, the things God calls us to do are hard. And when you surrender to do that, it's gonna bring difficulty into your life and it's gonna bring challenges. And it even, it even brings the necessity of sacrifices, doesn't it? Like we have to sacrifice. Men and women called into, into the ministry to be missionaries and they sell everything and they, and they go and they live somewhere to minister and to do. So Mary here, the Lord is with you, important because she would need that. And then finally, the angel said, blessed among women are you. Now, why would the angel say that? Well, it was the hope of every Jewish woman to be the mother of the Savior. They all anticipated the Messiah coming. They all knew he was going to come. And it was the hope of each woman to be the mother of the Savior. And yet this one, this one woman, out of all the women ever born in history, out of all the Jewish women ever to be born, Mary was the one chosen of God. Now, let me say a couple of closing things about this announcement. Mary should be honored as a sister in Christ, as one, because she believed Jesus after he was born. She believed him. She was saved. She should be honored as the mother of the Savior, as God honored her. But never should Mary be lifted up to a place beyond what God intended for her. Never is Mary to be prayed to or exalted as a deity or lifted to anything higher than a, a woman, just as any other person in life that God chose to use in a magnificent way. And she should be honored for that. But nothing more. She was blessed among, uh, above all women in that day. Let me close with two things. 
one, when the angel showed up, um, it says in the next verse there, she was troubled. Not afraid, as I said a minute ago, but troubled. What was she troubled about? Not troubled as in doubt, not troubled as in I don't believe, but she pondered all that Gabriel told her and how it would impact her life. And she pondered what it meant moving forward. Nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure when God calls us to ministry and God calls us to do things, sometimes we have questions. Not questions of doubt, not questions of I'm not going to do that, but questions about how it's going to really work out. And God always works it out. But we as human beings, we think about how is it going to work out. And then finally, all of this that we read about this morning, the coming of the Savior, Mary being chosen, this announcement to her, it really is for one purpose, so that you and I can be saved, so that you and I could be born again, so that our sin could be paid for. You see, here, here is the whole sum of the deal. Christmas is important because we needed a Savior. Christmas is important because God the Father sent what we needed. He sent his son to live on this earth and to die on the cross. Christmas is important because God gave to us so that we could be saved. I don't know what your spiritual condition is today. I don't know your relationship with God. But here, here, is, here are the facts, plain and simple, truth, and you simply have to accept or reject them. And I pray today you would receive them. Every human being who comes into the world is a sinner without exception. Now, some are, some are more expressive of their sin than others, okay? And so you could see people that you think, that's a bad person, that's a good person. No, there are no bad and good people. We're all sinners. There are just degrees of our sinfulness that manifest itself in life. The penalty of sin is death, physical death and the eternal separation from God when we die. To remedy that situation is beyond anything we can do. No religious exercises, no good work. We can't earn our salvations. We can't pay for our sin. Jesus did that. Jesus came and died. He paid our physical death and he paid our spiritual death when he hung on the cross and took the sin of the world upon himself. He paid for our sin. In victory over sin in the grave, he rose again on the third day and is alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The Bible says he intercedes for all who call on his name. So here it is very simply for those watching online and you here today. If you've never been saved by faith in Jesus, here's how it works. You simply have to be willing to admit to God that you're a sinner. That's called confession. You say, how do I do that? Well, you pray. How do I pray? You talk to God. He's listening. You say, God, I'm a sinner and I know it. And God, I'm sorry for my sin because it offends you. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin and by faith, I ask you to save me. Forgive me for my sin and save my soul. If you're willing to do that, you say, well, that's pretty simple. Amen. Praise God. It's simple. Because if it was any harder, we couldn't do it. If you're willing to pray, if you're online right now and you're willing to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you, he'll save you. Would you do that today? That's what Christmas is all about. Would you ask him to save you today? Let's pray.